Good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today is our third visit to the subject of time as a God-given resource for our management and stewardship. As this is a limited resource, we will see today three ways to divide and define our time that will be used as stewarded after God's will. Thanks for joining us today as we face the challenge of following after Jesus through any and every season of life. It was last week, uh, my uh, family and I got together and watched a good oldie movie called The Wizard of Oz. It's been a while, right? Um, we, we got a fun board game that we play uh, through the month of February, and lo and behold, it seemed like our children didn't even know the story, so we had to watch the movie. Um, and as we were watching it, one part jumped out to me that I had forgotten was part of the movie. Do you remember, uh, spoiler alert, by the way, here, but uh, do, you, do you remember that Dorothy gets kidnapped by the witch? And the witch takes out this hourglass. Do you remember that moment? She flips it over and she says, when the sand runs out, those ruby slippers, blah, blah. You know the whole story, right? And Dorothy's response was just despair. I was a little bit shocked by this. Like, if, if you only knew you have this long to live, I'm not sure I'd spend that time crying. I'm not sure I would. I'm not sure that that would be my response. But it occurred to me that this is a reality in our own lives. That for you and I, uh, you have a particular amount of time. And in the uh, sand of your hourglass, we don't know how much is left. Do, do you know who here has... Less time than anyone else? Who's got the least amount of time? Anybody? You don't know, do you? At, at, at any moment, the, the, the days for which God has ordained for you in his book could come to an end. Here, here's the interesting thing. I think that as we look at however much time we have, it's almost important for us to make sure we don't know how much time is in the top of that hourglass. For we only have been given so much. And we need to make sure that as we look to see each day drop, right, each hour, each minute drop, it's a helpful reminder for us to say we need to be careful to steward that time. I think sometimes uh, February is like the worst month, right? I mean, we've made it through the dark days, right? January's past, but it still feels like it's just hanging on. Come on, youpers, you, you get this, right? It's just... So, and we were teased. Today's a little bit of a tease, too. A little nice day that springtime's around the corner. But um, sometimes it feels like I just want to, like an ostrich, put my head in the sand, right? I just want to go back to sleep. I just, I just don't want to give any more because it's just so hard. And I don't want to make light of this because for many of us, it is hard. For many of us, we're, we're dealing with almost unspeakable trials and difficulties, diagnoses. Things that you and I would have never planned and charted for those little drops of sand that we have. Nevertheless, you have them. And for many of us, they are going to be unique to each of us. What I want to submit to you this morning is that as we look at the subject of stewarding time, we are on our third lap. And as we do, I would like this message to be highly applicational. I'd like really for us to be able to tie off this understanding of how the scriptures encourage you and I as believers to be careful of redeeming the time in such a way that we'll know what to do with it. And so I want to submit to you three three aspects for time this morning in our study. 
the first has to do with time in general. The second has to do with how we might divide up our time. And the third has to do with, like February, seasons of time in our life. That when we look into God's word, we see these three aspects of time given to us with instruction to be careful in how we steward it. So just as you're preparing here, as we look into God's word, three different spheres. First, time in general. So you might just very uh, carefully think of this as your life, just my whole life. Secondly, how we would divide up our time, because you have only been given so much. So how, how should we learn to segment it, uh, to isolate it, and therefore use it in particular um, uh, uh, advantageous ways of spreading the gospel and growing our lives. And then thirdly and lastly, the concept of seasons in our life. Um, that's where we're going to travel for this morning. Uh, before we do, I want to do a little bit of review so that we get our bearings here. We looked our very first week um, that the act of redeeming time is reconstitution. Uh, so taking something, it comes from the root word of construction. I like to think of it as a potter's wheel. You guys can think of a potter's wheel, right? They take the clay and it's unshaped and it's unformed. You slap it down there and as it spins, it begins to take shape. And every now and then, the potter's going to say, hmm, this doesn't look quite the way I'd like it to. And do you know what the potter can do? You take the whole thing of clay and do what? Start over. Yep, it's the same amount, hasn't changed, but it's not going to be used for something new. Uh, That's the same thing that you and I are tasked with doing now that you know the Lord Jesus. We reconstitute our time. The biblical term for this is redemption. Uh, The next week, we looked at the anatomy of time. How's it broken down? And I want to just highlight for you that that central goal of redeeming time is designed to produce within us maturity. That when you use time properly, it is designed to grow you up in the Lord. Uh, We saw this uh, borne out with the words wisdom, uh, a a theme repeated through those passages that highlight the frailty and the temporality of our days. That when you use time properly, it grows you up in the Lord. And it grows you up in such a way that you now look at your life through the lens by which God's designed it. That's what maturity is, is it not? Right? We've all had kids, right? The way that they use their time, surely not a reflection of how you use your time. Why? What's the difference? Well, you've grown up. Right? You, you, you see things clearly not. And so you know how precious time is. This is the same goal for which we are taught to steward our time. As we begin for today and before we look into the book of Philippians, I'd like to give you what is the key principle for redeeming time. This is something that is almost Christianity 101. Very basic. Here it is. Because Christ lives in me, I now live for Christ. Because Christ lives in me, I now live for Christ. Can we say it together? Everybody ready? Eyes up here. Ready? Here we go. Because Christ lives in me, I now live for Christ. Uh, You heard it this morning from Rosanna, but Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That one thought alone, that singular concept. Of Jesus living in me. By the way, that's enough for, <laughs> that's enough for me today, right? I, I could just take that one thought. I'm going to get a lot of mileage out of that. But I, I want us to tie that together with the therefore, right? Because Christ lives in me, 
Therefore, I now live for Christ. I no longer live for myself. And so you see Paul kind of get us to that idea in the next sentence, right? The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Same idea repeated here in 1 Peter. He says, now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth, since you have sincere love for each other, uh, love one another deeply from the heart, for you have been born again. There it is. That's another way of saying the same thing. Christ lives in you. You, you now belong to the family of God. Because he lives in me, because I've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. Um, I thought it was interesting. This verse in Peter's own thinking continues with this recognition of the brevity of your life. For all men are like grass. Their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and, and falls. Because before Christ lives in you, do you know what you have? It's only perishable. That's all you have. Before Christ lives in you, all you have are drops falling off. That's all they are. And when they're done, guess what, folks? They're done. But once Christ lives in you, you now have life eternal. You, in fact, this is something similar that Paul will say to Timothy. He'll say like, spiritual or, or uh, physical exercise is pretty good. Like you should all go to the gym. Some of you more than others. I'm just joking. I was a little sharp. Talking about myself here, right? Physical exercise is of some value, but then he says spiritual exercise. It has merit both for this life and for the life to come. We, we need to make sure that we're paying attention that when Jesus comes to indwell you, the Holy Spirit comes to live within you. That new identity has now taken that which was temporary and has now extended it all the way into eternity. So, back to our theme, because Christ lives in me, I now live for Christ. This being the key principle will help us, therefore, to look at these three aspects of time. Time in regards to general, time in how we divide it up, and time in regards to seasons. With that in mind, I invite you to turn your Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Paul here has found himself in jail. He's in house arrest, chained to a Roman guard. As he has been in chains, news has spread of his imprisonment to his churches. One church in particular in the city of Philippi heard that their apostle, our dear brother Paul, is locked up. And so you know what they did? They gathered on a Sunday. They said, we're going we're to get an offering together. We're, we're going to take together supplies and we're going to send them all the way down to where he is locked up. And we're going to... We're going to give it to him so he knows that we're praying for him, so that we, yeah, he knows that we love him. That's the situation that's happening here in Philippi. And so Paul receives the gift from the Philippians, but understands that their concern is a little bit misguided. For their concern is that this is actually a bad thing that's happened. Paul getting locked up is a bad thing in their perspective. Paul says, actually, God is sovereignly is in control of this. He's going to use, watch this now. He's going to use even the bad thing that's happened for his glory. And we might hear that the, the echo there of Paul, because Christ lives in me. Even if I'm in jail, I live for Christ. So we're going to pick up the story in chapter 1, starting in verse 19 uh, through 26. Philippians 1, starting in verse 19. Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers... And the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me, will turn out for my deliverance. 
I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and join the faith. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. All right. Uh, there's there's our, our section for this morning. Um, a few observations and conclusions I want to draw your attention to. The first is this. Living for Christ is stewarding your time. The, the whole series that we're in right now is, is an attempt to almost force us to look at those things that are easily missed. How, how many people do you know are really giving evaluation over how they use their time? I mean... It's usually not till you're right to the very end of your life that suddenly you think, boy, I wish I would have made better decisions. But how many people do that regularly or habitually or spiritually to look at, I need to make sure that I'm managing my time properly. I want you to see that the very, the very first thing that you and I should recognize is that when it comes to stewarding our time, you will accomplish that in one fell swoop by simply living for Christ. If that's what you have uh, decided to just change the heading on the TV channel of your life, right? Whatever, whatever sitcom is your life, right? You just change the title to say, instead of my life, this is what Christ's life looks like. I'm living for Christ. If you do that, you will be stewarding your time properly. Look with me again in the text, the primary verse here in verse 21. Paul says, for two. For to me to live is what? Is Christ. To live is Christ. Raise your hand. Who woke up this morning? Okay, good. Honest Christians in church this morning. If you woke up this morning, good news for you, you're alive. That's a good day, right? If you were the Apostle Paul, you would say immediately, that breath I just took belongs to who? Belongs to Jesus Christ. That next one belongs to Jesus Christ. In fact, every little grain of seconds of sands that fall from the day that I woke up, every one of them belong to Christ. Because for me to live is Christ. And if you can say that, I want you to know that you are stewarding your time well. I want you to know that giving what you have to God will produce more than you could ever produce in your life. And so you have a little bit of time. Yes, I don't know how much, but you, you have today at least. If you kept it for yourself, there may be some advantage or manufacturing that you can do to produce some good work with your day. I want you to know if you give it to God, he can do even more than you. You guys know the story of feeding of the 5,000? Great story. I, I missed that episode of The Chosen, but it's because I'm trying to play catch up here. I know I'll get to it eventually, but... Do you remember the story? It's so important. It shows up in all four Gospels. Not, not, many, not many show up in all four. This shows up in all four. And if you read through them, everyone uh, shows that the disciples are in a bit of a panic because how are we going to feed everybody? Jesus says, you're going to feed them. They say, what? We're going to feed them? 
What do you have? And the first three all say, well, we've got these two fish and five loaves. Nobody bothered to ask Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where'd you get them from? It wasn't until you get to John's gospel, you find out where they got them from. Do you know where they got them from? John's gospel says, it's this little boy that's there. A little bo- now, where would a little boy be going with five loaves and two fishes? That's not, not going to feed an army, right? My guess is he's got some explaining to do to his mom when he gets home. Because <laughs> he's probably carrying the groceries for, for dinner that night. You know, we don't know the rest of the story, but here's what we do know. The little that that boy had, maybe enough to feed a family, that little bit was given to Jesus, and what did Jesus do with it? Awesome story, is it not? You, you have the little that you have been given. Watch what happens when you give it to God. He can do so much more with it. There's a story of uh, Jim Elliott. Um, he was a missionary along with uh, four others that were martyred on their uh, very first encounter um, with uh, Indians in Ecuador, an un- unreached tribe. Uh, Jim Elliott later discovered that he wrote this in one of his journals, said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And, and as long as you are living your life for yourself, I want you to know every grain of sand, try to, try to hold it. All right, let's try this second right now. Ready? Hold on to it. Ah, it's gone. Did you notice that? You just lost it. Like wh- whatever you would try to hold on to, you cannot keep. But if you were to give it over to Jesus, if you were to give it to God, he will take it and multiply it and use it far beyond what you ever could. And so this story has a really happy ending. In fact, one of those Indians that drove the spear through Jim came to faith in Jesus Christ years later to even give testimony and witness of the grace of God that this tribal people have now placed their faith in the creator God, the one that you know. Jim gave his life. The little that he had that he couldn't hold on to, God took it and like loaves of fishes multiplied it. This from Job chapter 14. Job says, man's days are determined. You have decreed the number of his months and have set limits that he cannot exceed. And so the very first thing for us to hold on to when it comes to stewarding time is that living for Jesus is the number one pinnacle way that you can steward your time rightly. All right, let's look at the second one here. Living for Christ requires intentionality. Living for Christ requires intentionality. Uh, When I was a young man, I um, went on a mission trip and God capturing my heart in that moment impressed upon me the brevity of my life that if ever it was going to be something to, to be used for God, I couldn't keep it. And so I decided, having returned from that trip, that I was going to serve God with my life. Now, I'm pretty bad at that. Any, anyone else with me? Right? I'm pretty good at serving myself. I've got real deep ruts of serving myself. Right? So as much as I in that moment said, Lord, I'll serve you with my whole life. It didn't take but, you know, uh, um, being a little hungry. But first, let me go get a bite to eat. Or catch a story. Is this just me uncomfortable up here this morning? Anyone else with me on this? So one of the things that I did, that I did to try to help myself with that, I, I wrote in the front of my Bible uh, a creed to live by. It's maybe too small for you to read, but it says wherever, whenever, whatever. Wherever, whenever, whatever. Because of my awareness of my own need and inability to save myself and the grace of God to save me, this life now belongs to him. 
doesn't belong to me anymore. Except I keep trying to take it back. Right? I, I give it to God and then I want to take it back again. And so I need to start telling myself this. No, I'm going to serve God wherever. I'm going to serve God whenever. I'm going to serve God doing whatever he asks of me. I have to learn to build into my life an intentionality behind living for Christ. And so that helped serve me um, to make sure I'm doing a better job with that. Um, the illustration that I thought of is if, you, uh, if I told Emily um, I was going to take her out, and she says, why are you going to take me out? And I said, ah, oh, because I got nothing better to do. <laughs> Imagine if that was the kind of service by which we offered God. Right? Imagine that. Why, why did you show up at church today? Ah, nothing better to do. Right? Why, why are you going to volunteer to serve? I didn't have anything else going on at the time. Right? Do, you, do you see how insulting that would have been for your spouse? And Imagine if that was the characteristic of our service to God. Rather than thinking through how, how in this little amount of time that I have been given, how can I divide it up to make sure I'm using it well? Not as an afterthought. Not as a once I get done with all the things I'd rather do. But to put God number one in my life. And to intentionally look at dividing my time up to best serve him. I thought of a, another illustration of this. Um, I call it spiritual inertia. You guys, you guys know some of Newton's laws, inertia? What's the first law, Mike? Do you remember that one? He's giving me just blink. He, was, he had it in class not too long ago. An object at rest stays at rest. An object in motion stays in motion. Yeah, do you know this is true spiritually? If, if you begin to divide up your time that you begin to produce patterns and habits of spiritual discipline in your life, you start to get moving, right? You start to build a little spiritual momentum because you're going to have tough days. Right? You're going to have moments that are hard, weeks that are difficult. But if you've got that momentum, an object in motion, what? Stays in motion. How much harder for an object at rest, though? And so this might be a challenge to you. Like, maybe I'm not thought of this. How, how can I divide up my time better that I would live for Christ? And if I could start making a pattern out of that, hopefully that will be seen as something that will last. Thirdly, living for Christ is cross-seasonal. Uh, I, I want to draw you back to the text for these two observations. It, it, for the second one, right? The intentionality. Look back with me in verse 20. He says, I, I eagerly expect and hope I will in no ways be uh, ashamed, but will have suffi- sufficient courage so that, watch this now, now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. Do, do you see what that's telling us about Paul? It, it's not that once he got to jail, he was like, boy, I should have been praying more. Good thing I'm praying now. It wasn't that once he got in trouble, he said, oh, Lord, I'll give you myself now. Paul says, even in the midst of trouble, I want my life to reflect glory to you as it always has. I I, I just want to make sure you guys see that in the text. This was an intentionality of spiritual devotion that Paul was regularly practicing his life. But additionally, there's no time off when it comes to living for Christ. There's no vacation from this. And I want you to see that seasonally here in Paul's life. So before he was in prison, give me a yes or no. Before he was in prison, was he serving Christ? Yeah. Yeah. When he was in prison, was he serving Christ? And then look what he says. I desire to part, be with Christ, which is better by far. Verse 24. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know I will remain and will continue with all of you. He says earlier in verse 19 that what has happened will turn out for his deliverance. Paul believes he's going to what? Be in jail forever? 
or go back to serve the Philippians. Do you see? He's fully trusting that because for him to live is Christ, if God keeps me alive, I guess there's more work for me to do. And as I look to the church in Philippi, I got a work to do there. So this is just a speed bump. This, this jail cell that I'm in, these chains that I have, they're just holding me down for a little while, but not forever. And this is what I want to encourage you by. God is the one who has orchestrated the events of your life so that you will serve him when, when it's easy and when it's hard. And when it's hard, I hope this is a good word for you this morning. It's not hard forever. It isn't. You ever have those moments where it's just like, I don't even know why I'm doing this. You ever have those days where it's just like, I cannot get that thought out of my head. I want you to know, God knows. God has brought that difficulty into your life because when he looks at your life, he doesn't see it like you and I do. We're stuck in this minute. We're stuck in this second. And it feels to us like the story, the the whole story. You guys still with me on this? It's just a chapter. Isn't that good news? Isn't it good news that, no, this isn't the whole story. What you're facing right now isn't the end of everything. This is just one chapter among many in your life that God wants to see you reconstitute your time to live for Christ, no matter what you're facing. So there's no days off on this. Serving Jesus is not seasonal, as it feels like in February, right? Here, sometimes it feels like that. Look at this passage here in 2 Timothy. He tells uh, Timothy, preach the word when? That means means you're ready all the time. All the time. You do this properly and build that momentum, that spiritual inertia in your life. It'll be easier when it's out of season to do this. I want to show you another passage, and this one is a little bit longer, but this one I think is critical for us to understand the nature of stewarding time. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We, we hear this at funerals sometimes. Right? I know you're semi-familiar with it. Let me read it to you. It says, there's a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and time to gather them, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search, and a time to give up, a time to keep, and a time to throw away, a time to tear, and a time to mend, a time to be silent, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. Now, many times I think we think of this as being like the good times and the bad, and these bad ones we just got to get through to get back to the good. But that's not what God's word is teaching us. You see, if you look a little further in chapter seven, watch what the writer says. When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. God is the one who sets these seasons in our life. I'm not looking forward to whatever the next bad one is. I'm not. I don't know about you guys. I don't think you are as well. But do you know what I know? I know God is the one that made it. And so even as I face it, I don't need to face it as such that I'm trying to erase it out of my life, but to say, I'm going to reconstitute this moment, as crummy as it is. Right? Some of us, (laughs) they're tough moments, 
but I'm going to see God's the one who sets these seasons. Not as the whole story of my life, but just as another chapter where I can learn to live for Christ, even when it's hard. So what, what, can, what can we do with these three? Does everybody catch our three concepts of time? A time overall, it's your entire life. Intentionality that we can divide up what we have. And then lastly here to see the seasons in our life. So I want to spend just a little bit of time here on application. Number one, um, how do I steward time well? It, it, well, by putting God first. Um, when we read earlier that because Christ lives in me, I now live for Christ. Understand that the living for Christ part is contingent on him living in you. So I want to ask you this morning, does he live in you? I, I don't know if that's true for everybody. I, I hope it is. I hope that you have come to the place in your life where you've dethroned yourself off the authority of your life. And you say, I put Jesus there instead. Christ is my king. I want to follow his will and rule in my life. If you have come to that place, well then, good. You're putting him first. Uh, the second one here, I think, teaches us how to do that. How do I put Christ first? Well, here's how. Intentionally set time to follow Jesus. Set time in your life to follow him. We looked last week at the miracle God did on the third day of creation. Do you remember that? Uh, it had to do with money, right? He made plants and what was in the fruit of the plants? Do you remember? Seed. So in terms of our money, some of it is fruit, some of it is seed. That, that was last week. Today we looked at the miracle of day four. Do you know what God did on day four? We heard it from Rosanna this morning. Let me put it back up, up here again. Day four, it says, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve. Watch what God does now for the human creature. Let them serve as markers for times, days, and years. Times here, might, you might think months. Months, days, and years. Who is it that first had the idea of taking all the time that you have available to you and finding a way of segmenting it? I want you to know that was God's idea. God was the one who put these celestial objects, objects in the sky so that you and I would have the ability to know how to steward our time by dividing it up. Days? How do you start your day? Since we've been doing this, this series, and I, I pray before my feet touch the floor every morning, but I've been doing something new since we started this. I've been saying before I start my day, Lord, I give this day to you. But before I would always pray to him, I pray for whatever's on my prayer list. But I'm now saying this day is yours. And I don't know what it's going to contain. It might be awesome. It might really humble me as well. So whatever this day contains, God, I'm giving it to you. I'm using my marker of a day as the earth turns to live for Christ. Maybe you see that we try to do this at Grace as well. Right? What do we do on the first Sunday of a month? We, we, we set aside time at the very beginning to remember what Jesus has done for us. Um, my, my family as well uh, tries to look at our months and come up with themes that we can focus on for a stewarding discipleship in our life every month. How about a year? Hopefully, you, you, you see the pattern that I've tried to build into our worship, that there's a theme for every year here at Grace, kind of an overarching idea that we're just going to work towards. And in so doing, we're trying to live for Christ, to put him first. Now, there's one division of time that's not listed here. Did you, anyone know what it is? 
We've got days. We've got months. We've got years. What's missing? It's, is it, it's, how funny is that? Do you know that there's no celestial object to give us the division of a week? Do you know instead it's snuck into the whole thing? Do you know where a week comes from? It comes from God's six days of work. Because what's he doing the last? He rests seven days. It's an interesting fact. Every culture on earth divides their months into weeks by sevens. God gave us, gave us that. Even though it's not, you don't look up at the sun and the stars to determine that. We look at the character of God for that. And I assume that's why you're here today. Because it's the first day of a week. Sunday's the first day. I encourage you to rest as well. I encourage you to spiritually rest seven days. But God made you with a body that's going to break down if you keep working it seven days a week. Um, I had a friend say it to me this one way. Unless you go and find Sabbath, Sabbath's going to find you. So you don't want that to happen. Um, the first day, Monday or Sunday, the first day of the week, we set aside to worship our, our God. So we live for Christ. So th- that's my encouragement to you. Intentionally set time to follow Jesus. Lastly, redeem this season by looking to Jesus and just remember it's just a season. So I don't know what season of life you are in right now. I don't know what it is that you're facing, but I would be willing to suggest if it's difficult, you could use the reminder of a reconstitution of your time in the encouragement to hear that God doesn't expect this to last forever. This is a particular time, a chapter in your life that you can reconstitute and use to serve him. And how do you do that? How do you best do that? Two thoughts as we, as we wrap up this morning. The first is this. Um, I want you to know Uh, that the scripture tells us how to redeem each season. The easy ones are easy. Amen, right? Easy seasons aren't hard. Ecclesiastes says, when times are good, party, rejoice, no problem. When times are bad are the tough ones. Here's what the scripture tells us to do. 2 Corinthians 4, therefore we don't lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away. Anyone feel like that? Anybody? I I was getting up off my knees the other day. It sounded like popcorn. I don't know where that comes from, but my joints are making noises now, right? So outwardly, we're wasting away. Yet inwardly, we're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So what do we do? We fix our eyes, not on what is seen, because these, without Jesus, they're just dropping. Instead, we fix our eyes on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. A little better one from Hebrews chapter 12. The writer says, and this is in the context of persevere. Don't quit. Don't give up. That's the determining feature of your faith in Jesus Christ. Don't give up. And how do I not give up? I fix my eyes on Jesus. I look to Jesus when I'm in those difficult seasons. Church, I want to encourage you this morning. If that's where you find yourself in one of those difficult seasons... The scriptures give us the answer. Remember I said I want to share with you two things? That's just the first. Fix your eyes on him. The illustration that I would give is um, when I go and mow over at my mom's place, uh, she has this field, and uh, as I'm running the mower down the field, if I'm looking at the edge of the grass right here, if I, if I look at what I'm facing right here, do you know what the line looks like with the mower? It's all over the place, right? And so if I'm looking at my circumstance right here, I'm kind of all over the map. How do I get a straight line? Do you know how to do it? You lift your eyes and you look to that which is unmovable on the horizon. 
And if, if I look at that mark and I just focus there, I may miss a few spots on the, uh, on the grass side, but I won't my next, my next path because I'm a nice straight line. This is exactly what you and I need to focus on too because when we look at the temporary seasons as the problem, you're gonna be all over the map in your life. Some of you maybe know what that feels like emotionally, but if instead you fix your eyes on that which is unmovable, Jesus is eternal and unmovable, you'll find that you're gonna be able to cut right through that trial with a nice straight line just for the chapter and the season that you're in. The second thing that I wanted to share with you, and this is critical, I think that for many people, there is this idea that to be a Christian means some form of ascent towards um, a doctrinal stance. Right? That's what it means to be a Christian. Well, I believe this, and so I'm a Christian. Uh, the, the very first disciples would have thought, you're crazy. You're, just, that, I, I'm, I, you're crazy. Now, I have, first part, need a little bit of a footnote here. Doctrine's important. Don't hear me say that it's not important. But that's not what our faith is built on. Our faith is built on a relationship with a person. And his name is Jesus. And so when it comes time for us to face those difficult seasons, I don't want you to think that I'm relying on a doctrine. Boy, show me some theology here to help me through this because that's not what you need. Do you know what you need? You need Jesus. And you need to invite Jesus into the time that you've been given, into the season that you have. Say, Jesus, I need you today. Speak to me. Protect my heart. Allow me to see that you have a sovereign control over these affairs because I'm losing my mind. <laughs> right? I need your help. I, wa- I want you to know that it is not a denomination. It is not a doctrine. It is not some particular theology that we are founded upon. As important as some of those are. Rather, we have placed our hope in a person. Help me out here. His name is? Jesus. His name is Jesus.